0: Jonathan, if you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here, and excited to share, I'm trying to think of the last time we had a New Year Sunday, uh, but they're always fun, and I always, because uh, they're usually just kind of like a one-off sermon, we're not in a series, it's just kind of like, all right, Lord, what do you want to say today, what should we talk about, and um, if, you, if you know anything about me and my life, one of the things I really enjoy doing is I enjoy uh, being intentional about life, I enjoy Uh, reflecting on my life, thinking deeply about uh, who I am and what I do and why I do what I do, how to get better, right? Um, And so it's interesting, the last couple years, Annie and I had been gone on New Year's, on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and we'd get back like the 3rd or 4th of January, and I was just like, Annie, we can't do that anymore, because I feel like my year's already started, and it messes up like all the stuff I want to think about before the year starts and how I like want to hit the ground running when the year starts to be intentional and do all this stuff. And, and so I was like, this year, we've got to be in town on New Year's, on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, so that I can feel good about the year, right? Like, does anybody else feel that way? Like, if you're out of town, you just feel like the year started. I don't know if I should try anything new. I, I mean, it's just weird. I'm weird that way. And so I've been thinking a lot about that um, and, and these things. And Annie had come across this book Uh, recently, and she shared three things out of this book that I want to share with you today that are just super practical as you look ahead uh, to the year ahead of you. And then I think uh, I'm going to back up with scripture as far as um, uh, being something that's true in a really deep way. And I think the book was called The Power of Moments. Is that right? The Power of Moments. And it had three things in this, and this is going to be short and super practical today, and hopefully you'll be able to take something with you to think about as you go into this year of 2023, but the three things that it said that really impacted me uh, uh, for my life, but also like as a parent to think about as, a, as I'm parenting children, as I'm working with people, as I'm building a team, all these kinds of things, and it was three things. It was that transitions should be marked, milestones should be commemorated, and pits should be filled. Like as you walk through, and I just, she shared that with me, and I was just like, oh, it hit me so, like in such a big way that... Uh, Usually stuff, i even like, ah, that's good info. I've heard that before. And I was like, oh, man, that's so true. And I started to think about this idea that transitions should be marked, that milestones should be commemorated, and pits should be filled. And what I realized is that most of the meaning in life is in the noticing of something meaningful having taken place and marking it, commemorating it, giving value to the event, to the process, um, to the day, and um, in life, in many ways, it's really easy to kind of feel like your life is living you, not you're living your life. It's almost like this year. How I many of you guys have ever had a year you just felt like, that year happened to me? <laughs> Anybody ever felt like, like, man, it just flew by and I got to the end. I was like, whoa. And those years are always way less satisfying, right, than the years where it felt like, man, I was building something. I was working on something. I was improving at something. Um, I... I, I marked things as they went along. I celebrated, I commemorated, I grieved the things of life. And so I'm gonna walk through this and show just kind of what this looked like and how uh, to live what I would call like a meaningful life, right? A deep life, a reflective life, to reflect on these things. So let's just dig in. Transitions should be marked. Life is a series of transitions, right? Um, So even this morning, um, we have people in this room who are pregnant, right? And there's this transition to go from being pregnant to having a baby. And it's like, guess what? Those are different things. You have a baby, and then you have a baby. You have a baby, and it's like this whole thing. And then you go through all the transitions of the baby, right? Of being held, of getting their head up, of like starting to lay on their tummy, and then crawling, then walking, then saying no, that transition is, doesn't end soon, uh, so I hear. So it's just like this thing, and then you go all the way through to like, uh, I read an article recently, I sent it to a bunch of parents that I wanted to make them cry. This guy wrote an article about sending your kids to college and about like the grief of knowing that like you raised this kid for 18 years to launch them into the world to live the rest of their life, basically not without you completely, but I mean in a, in a sense, when you're successful, to be successful is to let go. It's to transition and, and all these things, right? Um, and one of my favorite Catholic authors is a guy named Ronald Rollheiser. And he says, you know, the, you've got three stages of life. The first stage is getting your passions under control, like disciplining your life. The second stage of your life is giving your life away, serving, using your gifts, your passions, your talents to serve others. He said the third phase of your life is, is giving your death away. He's like, the last phase of life is to die well and to use it as a gift to the people around you to show them how to courageously live all the way to the end. And so these transitions should be marked. It's fascinating, like this is a biblical idea. So Israel, they go through the promised land and God leads them through this whole way and then finally they're getting ready to enter and what happens? They end up at the Jordan River and God's like, all right, I'm gonna take the ark here and when you set your foot in it, the, the, the Jordan is gonna split just like the Red Sea and you're gonna walk across on dry ground and you're going to get to the other side. And he says to do this, Joshua 4.3, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. Tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. It's fascinating. God's like, I want to mark this transition from the wilderness to the promised land. I want you to take a, a moment and notice where you've come from, where you are, and where you're going. Because if you're not careful, you'll just, you'll just breeze past the miracles of your life. They're happening constantly. And yeah, they may not all be the same as like, you know, like splitting the Red Sea or the Jordan, but I love that God's like, hey, I wanna take a million people and all of you to pause on this side of the river as 12 men grab stones. Why, why do you do that? He's like, I don't want you to breeze past what I just did for you. I want you to mark this transition. So, what does that look like in, in our lives? We mark like a promotion. You have a transition, like I said, of going from a, a if you're married and having a baby, going from a two person household to a three person household. Um, you, you have transitions of moving houses, of, of the first day of school, right? Going to kindergarten. It's a big deal. You have the end of a major project. You have transitions of like age and stage, right? It feels like a big deal to turn 30 or turn 40 or turn 50 or to, you know, it's like where you actually feel there's a transition happening. Something's going on at this age. I I felt like when I turned 35, it was a really big deal, even though nobody ever talks about 35 being a big deal. But if you look around the world, there's so many things in the world that you can't do if you're not 35, like political offices, like to be a rabbi in Judaism, you had to be at least 30 you know, It's like all these kind of things that you're like, oh, I'm a fully grown adult. Now I'm like, man, I better start acting like it. This is probably <laughs> important. So I marked those transitions. So I'm wondering the last year, like what transitions have you had in your life? And have you appropriately marked them? Right? And so for some of you in here, you might be like, oh, well, it's, it's actually, I've, I've gone through these. Maybe you're transitioning from, to being a grandparent. You're like, whoa, this is a big deal because I raised my kids and I was an empty nester and all these things happen and now I'm going back to being like kind of sort of a parent. Again. Anyway, it's like, have you marked the transition? Have you actually made peace with this new place that you're going into knowing that the new um, is gonna require something different than the old? That's why I think these things are important to mark, because it marks an end of something and a beginning of something new. And sometimes, because we don't get to choose the endings and the beginnings, and we don't always like the endings of some things, some endings are really painful, right? What we do is we try to ignore the transition, and we try to just stuff it down, but guess what? It's gonna come out. You're gonna deal with this at some point. Rob Reamer, who wrote the book Soul Care that we use uh, for our ministry here, he said this thing one time. He said, pain pain in your life is like a beach ball in the pool. Everybody play that game where you see how long you can stay on top of the beach ball, right? And you try to stuff it. But he's like, the more you try to stuff it down, what happens? Sooner or later, it pops up. And he said, the problem is when it pops up, you don't control which direction it goes, So if you take the pain of your life or you take the experience of your life, you just try to stuff them down, sooner or later they're gonna come out and they're gonna come out in ways that you cannot control. So what you do is instead you choose to like consciously mark these things and process them and talk about them and journal about them and get advice from wise counsel and say, what should I do? I'm in a transition, what should I do? So um, I was, uh, if you guys remember in 2018, Annie and I, uh, we were going through a really hard season of life. I was turning 40. I'd been at Skyline for 10 years. um, And it had been 10 years since the death of my first wife. And it, it felt like just this super important thing. Like it felt like all this stuff, all these things were converging into this really important season of my life. So one of my mentors, a guy named John Tyson, I was like, hey, what do you think? He's like, I think you should take a sabbatical. I think you need to like mark this season of your life with like, deep reflection and intentionality. And I'm so glad I did, because I don't know where I would be had I not taken that sabbatical, had I not just taken time to acknowledge the weighty things in my life and the transitions I was going through and just to like take stock of it. So transitions should be marked. So as you think about this year, if you're approaching a transition, start to think about how would I mark this in a way that would help me process and go into this new season. So uh, Annie and I, when we we went from three kids to five, that was awesome, got twins. Annie prayed for twins, and uh, God answered that prayer. I'm so glad he did. Uh, But one of the things that people did when we were having twins is every person that had twins told us how terrible it was. And some of you might be in this space when you're having your first baby, like, oh, you're never going to sleep. I mean, they just give you just all the negativity. People are like, it's the worst, you'll never sleep, it's terrible, there's two of everything, it's blah, 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 and all this. I mean, literally, we just got inundated how it was going to be the worst experience of our life. And Annie and I sat down one time, and she just said, you know what, I prayed for twins, and so I don't want this blessing to be a burden. And so in that, that we just sat down and we made an agreement to never complain about twins, having twins. We just said, we are never going to complain about these babies, about the work, about the effort, about the money. And we never did. And you know what? It was the easiest transition we had of any babies coming home. And we, we did two weeks in the NICU where Annie's there every day for 16 hours. I'm at home with three kids. Whew, smooth sailing. No fighting. No fuss. Just thank you, Jesus, for these little babies. What a joy. What a privilege. To get two for one, as Annie said, two for one pregnancy. Was, she is she awesome. So these transitions, if you mark them, you'll actually be able to start to like, think through how do we enter the new season. And God gave Israel, they're entering this new season, he gave them marching orders for the new season. They had to be ready for the new, right? So the second thing, milestones should be commemorated. When you hit a milestone, you should commemorate it and celebrate it. We should be people of celebration. The Bible is full of God saying, on this day, I want you to do these things to celebrate who I am and what I've done. Whether it's forgiveness of sins, or it's grain, or it's the promised land, or it's uh, Hanukkah, it's never-ending oil in the temple. God's like, look at all that I've done. You should be a people of joy commemorate things, commemorate the milestones, of graduation, retirement, completion of a goal, even small things that, that you've reached a milestone, you've lost some weight, right? Whatever it is, like you've just made a, something for yourself, commemorate it. Genesis 28, Jacob awakes from his sleep. He thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. So, so Jacob commemorates the action of God in his life. And if you guys ever get the pleasure of going to Israel, one of my favorite things I did, uh, is, is we, I took this weird trip where he did mostly hiking. So most people just ride in tour buses all day long. We would hike 12 to 15 miles a day around the countryside, which gets you a long ways in Israel. It's only like 90 miles long. Um, and you're just walking through the countryside and you just walk up to these giant stone pillars that are just standing there. There's no markings. You don't have no idea. And I asked the guy, how, how old are they? He's like, they think those stones are 2,000, 3,000 years old. So, somebody 3,000 years ago, something significant happened in their life and they took a whole community and they stood this stone up to mark, to commemorate some kind of milestone happening in their life. And I think we should be doing the same things. How do we commemorate? these milestones in a way that's memorable and that makes people feel valued and loved for what's happening in their life, right? How do we make people, because when you commemorate a milestone, you don't just celebrate the thing, you actually celebrate the person who accomplished the milestone, right? That's why we love graduation parties and we love weddings and we we love things that get together and just like say, this is a big deal. But I think the thing I've noticed, the people who live the best lives are who people who make a big deal out of all the milestones. They just make a big deal, listen to this, out of people. You're a person, your life is progressing, you're doing things, this is a big deal. This life matters, it's the only one you get. So let's dance and celebrate and laugh and just enjoy these milestones. So it might be a really small milestone, it might be a huge one, but we should commemorate. And then the last one is that the pits should be filled. And this is really important, I think, because if we're not careful that something happens in our life and it it makes this little pit, but if it doesn't get filled, what happens? The next dig goes deeper, and then the next dig. And next thing you know, we ended up with a small gap or lack in our life that turns into a big one. But if you'll just fill those constantly, it's, it's amazing. I was the youngest of four kids, and I had two older sisters. And uh, I like to say I was like the mascot of our family. Like my sisters just loved on me and told me how handsome I was. And her, her, uh, her friends would like hold my hand at football games, and say I was their boyfriend. And I was like, yeah, life's awesome. I, mean, I just walked through the world like, I'm good, life's good, this is great but I I think I just received so much outpouring. Like, I got a lot of attention. And I think it's just, it it just reflects that when you give attention to people, it fills in those little pieces of lack. And uh, uh, one of the things that, um, again, I mentioned my buddy John Tyson, Andy and I were talking to him one time about parenting, about kids and how to do this stuff. And He said, so many times parenting, what we do is we take the experiences we've recovered from. And um, when it happens to our kids, we just give them like kind of what he calls rational compassion, like which would be like rub some dirt on it. It's okay. Be tough. He's like, rather than actually remembering what it felt like to be a kid when somebody's mean to you, he says, so do this. He says, if your kid comes in, they've had a bad day, they're in second, third grade, something happened, blah, blah, He's like, here's what you do. You get down on their level, and you're like, hold up, stop everything. He's like, what? What happened? He's like, get right in their face. And he's like, tell me everything. I can't believe he, did he really say that? What did the other kids do? He's like, you just dig into the story to let them get this little pit that's been formed in their life. Let them get it out, and then you start filling it in with truth, with goodness. With beauty, it's like, oh, no, that's not who you are. But it's like this thing of like acknowledging how hard life is, acknowledging how much gets taken out of our tank as we go to work every day, as we parent every day, as we interact with our parents every day in all the different ages and stages. I don't know how many of you guys are in the stage of like aging parents. It's hard, right? It's hard when your parent is just like, oh, man, this thing has switched. I'm in this transition where my dad was like, and he actually needs me. He's like, he needs me now. So I've got to be available to him. But this is what the Lord does, right? Listen to Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. When you fill in the pits of people's days and weeks and months and years, you give them a firm place to stand. You take them from like like unstable ground and you just say, no, 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 this is who you are. This is who I am to you. I love you. I'm here for you. I love the Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. This is who God is. God lifts people up who are bowed down. If that's who God is, that means that's who we're called to be. We're called to notice when people are bowed down. So this is, this is the thing, is, is we should be on high alert for uh, facial expression, body language, change of habits, right? Hey, you used to do this, now you don't do that. Like, hey, what's happening? Is everything okay? It's amazing how little it takes to, to just fill in that pit when somebody just notices it really quick. And you think you're doing a good job of hiding it, but your face is not hiding it, right? Or your body language isn't hiding it. Somebody notices it, and you're just like, oh, thank God for that person who noticed the pit in my life. The Psalms is just full of this kind of thing. Oh, Lord, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down to the pit, 1 Corinthians 14.3. This is why we value the prophetic ministry so much. Here's what 1 Corinthians 14 says about prophecy. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. When the Holy Spirit speaks through you to somebody else, it's almost always to fill in a, a pit. It's like noticing a low place in somebody's life and speaking to them comfort, encouragement, and strength. So what does this look like? This looks like dealing with criticism, the loss of a loved one, conflict with friends or family, struggle with confidence. It's just noticing that someone has a lack in their life and asking God how you might help fill it. But these are just like really simple practices, but they all are built on a a real foundation and it's this, it's noticing. (laughs) That's it, Christians should be expert noticers. Because Christians are ones who are dying to self, right? Which means we're taking our eyes off of ourselves and we're lifting them and we're noticing what's happening in the world. What God is doing and what's happening in people's lives. We're noticing. Annie's mom, uh, her, our nephew, Bond. one time said, "Uh, I think Grammy went to the school of noticing. Because she notices details. I mean, like little things. She just noticed. I don't notice details at all. I'll ignore stuff. I I I, I like the big picture. She notices details. So I think that noticing actually separates people from, like, living a life of joy or living a life without joy. Because joy is really just about noticing the good and the true and the beautiful in all the places of life. And when you notice it, it sparks in you something that's like, ah, oh, that's good. Look at the sky. Look at the trees. Look at the mountains. Look at that mom playing with her son in the, in the park. Oh, isn't that beautiful, right? Like it's just noticing. And then what you do is you take your noticing and you turn it into intention. And you say, because I noticed that, I'm gonna actually start to move toward action. The first thing happens, I intend. But we can't stop at intention. You have to turn your intention into action. And it's interesting because this this noticing thing, I've noticed my noticing, right? Uh, I had a friend one time, I was at a Thunder game, and I'm watching the Thunder game, and he texts me, and he's like, do you even like basketball? And I was like, that's a weird text out of, out of nowhere. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm sitting across the court, and I'm watching you watch the game, and you haven't clapped one time. <laughs> and it struck me, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's weird. It's because I watch basketball different than most other people watch it, because I'm, I'm watching like the nuances and I'm watching for things. So like when a guy's got an open three pointer and the guy's running out towards him, right? You know, we would call that he's closing out on the shooter. So you're just watching the play. I'm watching his feet, right? Is he chopping his feet? Is he ready if the guy pump fakes him go around? Which foot is ahead? Because that tells you whether they're pushing him to the middle or they're pushing him to the baseline. What's happening? I'm noticing these little details and I enjoy the intricacies of the game, which means sometimes I miss the big picture in basketball. Like, I don't enjoy it as much as other people do. Because I'm like, oh, that was a good play, but he missed this, right? Wow, I messed up. Because you're always trying to improve. You're always trying to get better. But it's this noticing the little things. I want to take the noticing I do in basketball and apply it to my life better. I want to notice the little things about people, about their days and their lives, and acknowledge them, mark them, commemorate them, fill them in. One person said this, a Jewish writer, he said, the burning bush was not the miracle. It was a test to find out whether Moses could pay attention to something for more than a few minutes. When Moses did, God spoke. The trick is to pay attention to what's going on around you long enough to behold the miracle without falling asleep. There's another world within this one whenever we pay attention. That word pay is important. Attention is costly, It costs you something to pay attention, to focus on something for more than just a few seconds. And so at the bottom of this this idea, here's the practical things. Transitions should be marked, milestones should be commemorated, pits should be filled in. But uh, under all that is this idea of paying attention. Frederick Buechner said it this way. It almost seems to me before the Bible says anything else, it's saying that how important it is to be alive and to pay attention to being alive. You're alive today. You're in this room. You're alive. You're breathing. Pay attention to the fact that you're alive. It matters. Pay attention to each other. Pay attention to God as he moves and speaks. Pay attention to where life or God has tried to take you. Pay attention to your life. And we've never lived in a more attention-starved world. There's never been more competition for your attention. I used to get off the bus at 3.30 in the afternoon and play until 7 p.m., Outdoors with no distractions. There was nothing else to do. It was watch Days of Our Lives on TV or ride your bike and chase cows and, you know, like, and I just think about It's like, man, I used to do stuff for hours at a time. Just no big deal. Now an hour given to something feels like an eternity. Because my attention's been effective. But you pay attention. So Mary Oliver says this, attention is the beginning of devotion. If you want to devote yourself to anything or anyone, pay attention. Give them your attention. William James said it this way, we must reflect that when we reach the end of our days, our life experience will equal what we have paid attention to. By choice or default. That's a scary thought when we open up our phone and look at our screen time. If our life is going to equal what we've paid attention to, what will our life be about? Right? So let's pay attention to God, pay attention to yourself, like what's happening inside of you, and pay attention to others. So I put this thing together it's like attention, intention, action. Right? So you pay attention. Something rises up in you that you're like, you want to do something, right? This is the key moment. You want to do something. And then the third is act. If you never act on it, it's a good thing, but it's, it's definitely not the way you're meant to do it. So I, I had this thought one time that I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act on every generous thought I have. Just phew. If I have a generous thought for somebody, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to ask God, God, is that you? I'm going to pray about it. I'm just going to like, no, no, like that thought came from the Spirit. I'm just going to act on it. God says, pay for that meal. Do that thing. Buy that person a present. Take, give him, you know, whatever it is, just act on it as quick as you can. And you know what happens is after a while, those actions become so easy. Because you just listen to the Lord and that intention that bubbles up in your heart, you know it's good, you know it's from God, you obey it. And then the reward is just seeing what God does as you act on the things you see. Um, I'm going to invite the band back up. One last quote from Frederick Buechner, because I love this guy. This is just a journal entry. He said this, I discovered that if you really keep your eye peeled to it and your ears open, if you really pay attention to it, even such a limited and limiting life as the one I was living on Rupert Mountain opened up into extraordinary vistas, taking your children to school and kissing your wife goodbye eating lunch with a friend, trying to do a decent day's work, hearing the rain patter against the window. There is no event so commonplace but that God is present within it, always hiddenly, always leaving you room to recognize him or not to recognize him. But all the more fascinatingly because of that, all the more compellingly and hauntingly, If I were called upon to state in a few words the essence of everything I was trying to say, both as a novelist and as a preacher, it would be something like this. Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the boredom and pain of it, no less than in the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments. And all of life is grace. If I had a hope for 2023, it would be the the ability to recognize that all moments are key moments and all of life is grace. As long as God gives me grace to live and breathe and move on this earth, I want to notice him. I want to notice what he's doing in me, around me, through me, and I want to notice that in other people and I want to call it out and celebrate it and mark it. Because you get one life one precious life, that's it. And so this morning, I just wonder, um, maybe you've had some transitions in your life in the last year. Maybe you've had some pits that have been dug in and you just need to kind of walk through it. You need to mark it today. You need to put it on your phone app and say, I need, a, I need to think about this. Um, or you might even need prayer this morning. Our prayer team's going to be up here once we start singing. You just might say like, hey, I've got just a low place in my spirit. I don't want to start this year from a, from a low place. I want God to fill that in. To live from a place of hope, right? And then maybe it's just to set an intention in your heart this year to say, listen, I want to mark the transitions of my life, of my kids' lives, of my parents' lives. I want to commemorate all the milestones. I want to be a person who makes a big deal out of every deal. Um, and then say, like, I, I want to commit to when I see any low spot in somebody's life, I want to be the person who shows up and be like, hey, let's fill that in that in. Let's not pass over that. It's not a small thing, right? All moments are key moments. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray for us. Prayer team's going to come up here if you need prayer for anything. So would you just pray with me? God, we just love you so much. Jesus, I thank you for truth, and I thank you for your word. I thank you that you say, even though our life is like a vapor, it's like the grass of the field in the scheme of eternity, it's so short, and yet it's so important to you. So important to you. The things that you were doing in people's lives in the Bible were so important, you asked them to mark them over and over again. You gave them ways to celebrate and to grieve, um, to reflect. And so God, I pray just for us today and in a world that feels like it's moving so fast and it's so easy to live unintentionally, I pray that you would shape our hearts to notice, to notice, to see the beauty of this life, to not ignore the pain of this life and to capture, Lord, how holy and sacred Every single moment of every single day is because we live before your face. Coram Deo. We live before the face of God. He sees, he knows, he's watching, he's with us. So for 2023, God, would you come and be near to us? Yeah, and would you turn our attention uh, attention into intention and turn our attention into action that glorifies you builds the kingdom and blesses the world. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing. You can come up for prayer if you need it.